Welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway. Hello, Regenerates. Welcome to another episode of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. Today, we're with Cyrus of Eden, Eden Dow. Uh, Cyrus is building with a community a new form of decentralized economic incentive system for carbon sequestration. And you'll get a glimpse into the sophistication of how Cyrus is thinking about that and the complexity of the approach, which is, you know, really quite exciting. There's a number of different core concepts here to pull out, including a ton year as a unit, uh, which originates from Delton Chin's work, with which many of you may have heard about. I think Delton was on episode, oh boy, it was an early one, episode six of the Planetary Regeneration podcast, and then came back again to do another one on episode 36. So you can check those out. But Delton suggested a 100-year ton standard for the global carbon reward. Uh, Cyrus of Eden is suggesting a one-ton year and is also working on forward contracts for pre-purchasing these into the Eden treasury and a number of other complex algorithmic approaches to creating a currency that's reflective of these units. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Cirrus of Eden Dow. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. We're deep into the community voices arc, and I think there's going to be a lot more exciting episodes to come. So, uh, Cyrus, welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm stoked to have you on the community series where we're getting to do some deep dives with some of the amazing folks doing epic stuff uh, and that were part of the the grants round that happened last year. So excited to dig in and, and jam about Eden Dow with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here, uh, excited to be working with Regen Network. I have a lot of uh, respect and admiration for the work y'all are doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Eden Dow can become part of the uh, planetary regeneration pipeline and finance the uh, sort of projects that are going to heal our planet and regenerate it instead of exploit it. Yeah, amazing. So do you want to just give folks a quick overview of what what Eden is um, is working on? And, you know, I, I, I guess the key points that I find particularly fascinating that I'd love you to chat about are starting to price carbon in years, like carbon ton years. Mm-hmm. I think that that's very interesting and would love to hear more about your thoughts. Would also... You know, it, it's some, and this all may come out in, in the course of our conversation, of course, so don't feel too much pressure to jam it all in at the beginning. But I'm also really interested in your take on the right way to do the mechanism design around the token economics to create the reserve or index system that allows people to be investing into a variety of different assets and have the system be financing the provision of those (laughs) assets and sort of like what the risk forward or futures system Mm -hmm. is and, and the rest of that. And at some point, it'd also be interesting to jam, you know, there may be some healthy tension around, you know, where do we build as Web3 builders and why? And uh, mm. Oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we, we do get into that conversation here or there. On, <laughs> on Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> so, from time to time. 
And yeah. um, I think that would be probably useful for listeners from both communities to just like hear different perspectives and, you know, why and what and how and, and over time, because I think all of this is also sort of like a, when do you do what and for what reason um, mm-hmm. perspective. And I think if we cover all of those things, we'll probably blow through our hour in no time. So there that's my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's sweet. Um, so, so the Eden DAO is on a mission uh, right now to increase the GDP of carbon removal. That's our our current motto. Um, I think that this is our uh, grandiose season one. We're we're trying to we're, we're exploring how we could reprice the carbon market, as you said, by uh, measuring carbon removal in terms of years. You know, um, as humans, we can. Uh, conceptualize and abstract the world using measures. We have rulers that measure in inches or in centimeters, right? We have, in the carbon markets, we measure in tons. And, uh, you know, we t- took a look at that and s- we saw that the usage of measuring carbon removal in tons, it seems like a uh, h- historical sort of artifact of the original voluntary carbon markets, which were largely reduction oriented. And when you're reducing emissions and you've got a variety of methodologies for reducing emissions, then the commodity underlying those is the carbon ton. Fast forward, you know, to about five, 10 years ago, as more of these carbon removal projects are, are coming online. And we start finding that every carbon removal project has its own ton, and that ton lasts for a different number of years. All these carbon removal projects need to have sales. So they're going around and being like, oh, hey, look, there's the voluntary carbon market. I guess we can play here. We have to measure in tons. But nobody really took a you know first principles look at it and said, hold on a second. The, the fundamental commodity across the different carbon removal methodologies is how long the carbon is stored uh, on earth. And this is, um, this is a bit of a, I wouldn't say it's a hard concept to learn, you know, uh, for people who are new to carbon markets, but it's it's an additional detail that they wouldn't have necessarily thought about uh, from the outset. So what we're trying to do is uh, perpetuate the belief, start and perpetuate the belief that $1 gets you one ton of carbon stored for one year on earth. Um, we think that that would be a great starting point. Uh, obviously that number could go up or down over time, but we think that would be a good starting point because, you know, looking across the market, that could uh, reprice nature-based credits anywhere from like twenty-five to seventy-five dollars a ton because they would last for twenty-five to seventy-five years. That's the amount of permanence they would have, and it would also reprice the more permanent carbon removal methods to anywhere from like. $500 to $1,000 per ton. And then you might be saying, cash, who's willing to pay this price? And I'd say, well, there's two ways we, we, we kind of look at it at the Eden Dow. The first is we want this price to be a, a global carbon reward. We don't want to necessarily rely on corporations or governments to spend the money to finance these projects. We want a protocol to be able to reward project developers for uh, removing carbon, or at least being on track to remove carbon in the future. This way, it's it's kind of akin to having a a global entity that says, "Hey, like you're doing good things. Here's a reward for you," and that reward has monetary value. 
my my hope with this is to sort of unlock the the bottleneck uh, that we have as uh, on the demand side, especially considering that some carbon removal methodologies are viewed as like really expensive compared to others because everybody is looking at tons when they should be thinking about ton years. So so that's that's one of it. That's that's some of that. Let me pause you. Um, yeah, pause so, me. <laughs> so first off, I love it, and I think it's a really important contribution. And I have to say, I, you know, although I think there's some prior art, yeah, right, that people have been talking about like permanence and quantity. Mm-hmm. I had not heard anybody myself until you started really hammering this and like memeing it on <laughs> year, it really yeah. had been something that I think myself and other people who are sort of like deep in it had internalized mm-hmm. and understood intrinsically about how things could be priced and what was important, mm-hmm. but it just, it hadn't been made quite so explicit. So first off kudos for mm-hmm. sort of like, honing in on a really important part of the conversation that's just like essential and just making it sort of like explicit because I think that's such an important part of like polishing that off and all of a sudden it becomes a shelling point around which everybody can just sort of like magnetize. So great work. And, you you know, um, had you run across the tonnier in your research or did it just Mm. emerge like, as you're saying, from first principles as something that was obvious to you. Mm-hmm. It was not a, I would say our interpretation of it is novel, but the fun- fundamental like idea was inspired by um, the global carbon reward by Dalton Chen. He, yeah. Him and his friends um, wrote a, a series of papers suggesting that there ought to be a global uh, consortium of the international banks that would uh, support a floor price for carbon removal. And they suggested that the unit for measuring carbon removal ought to be one ton of CO2 stored for a hundred years. And that the price for that should be set to the risk adjusted cost of carbon. That's a, it's a very thoughtful system. I I thought when I came across it, it made, it made a lot of sense, but I didn't think that, in our position, we were able to execute on some of the, his ideas. So, like, you know, I don't know any world banks, but I can think about tokenomics to um, develop a price floor. So that's how we approach that angle. Another one totally. is that like, um, we we ran into, you know, I, I thought this like one ton for a hundred years angle was was nice. But it wasn't a unit. Um, it wasn't like a unit vector, right? And, and from a mathematics perspective, I thought, what if we just simplified that down? And instead of one ton for 100 years, we had one ton for one year. Then we get this very nice $1, one ton, one year relationship, which I found to be easy to explain to people because it just gets to the root of it when it comes to uh, explaining carbon removal. You know, usually, you know, if, if we're trying to explain carbon removal to somebody who doesn't know anything about it, then they might ask you, oh, or what are carbon credits? What are carbon offsets? Like, is this greenwashing? You know, these are like 10 bucks. It's, it's that thing I see on my Google flight. And it, it, when, you, when you start off with like one ton of carbon stored for one year is $1, that anchors it to a very good space in, in the concept map because then they ask, wait, what do you mean stored for one year? 
Well, you see, depending on how we remove carbon from the atmosphere, um, it stays on Earth for a certain amount of time. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, what are ways that we can remove it? It, it starts at the end and, and it lets people unravel the depth of the carbon market without having to explain the depth of the carbon market first to then explain um, why this is such a valuable, uh, valuable thing. So. I would say that our, our design goal at the Eden Dow for the past couple of months has always been to, to ask how might we hyperscale carbon removal and our uh, sort of tokenomics angle or vector um, over the past uh, that we've been exploring over the past a month or so has been this uh, ton year accounting system of uh, $1 for one ton stored for one year. Um, another project that I know that is using tenure accounting in a different way is NCX. NCX is a um, carbon exchange and what for and uh, carbon plan recently did a little expose on their tenure accounting. Um, the similarity between their version and our version is that they are measuring carbon in ton years. And that's about where it ends because what they're using ton years for is an excuse or, or financialization of not cutting down a forest for one year. So if you don't cut down a forest for one year, then you get a series of tons and each ton only lasts for one year and we're gonna sell those. And that gives me the Wall Street ick to be honest with you, um, it doesn't. It doesn't give me that sort of like uh, regenerati uh, ambition and hopefulness or virtue in it. So, well, let's dig into that a little bit around the sort of like this is essentially this is sort of an argument between you know avoided emissions and carbon removals, right? They're using a one ton per year, but with an avoided emissions, but for yeah. an avoided emissions um, credit type, right? Yeah. Right. And, and I, I think I think that I think that carbon removal is just so salient and powerful because it, it feels like we're making a difference on the front lines compared to reductions. Um, if, you know, over the past year or two, it's become really apparent throughout the world that climate change is uh, out of control. You know, <laughs> I, I saw a tweet the other day that said we should uh, re rename it to total biosphere collapse to, you know, to communicate the magnitude of the risk that we face over the next uh, decades to come. And if, if not, if not centuries. So um, I, I think carbon applying tenure accounting to carbon removal uh, turns out to be this wonderful, wonderful, like uh, angle to, or, or measure to uh, measure for measuring things because it, when, when you do the math, it could increase the, the margins stupendously for carbon removal projects. And that would have wonderful knockoff, knockoff effects, um, knock-on effects, even beyond the Eden Dow for when it comes to those projects looking for financing or venture capital or, or private equity. If, if their margins are higher, then they'll have a better time uh, raising outside capital in addition to the Eden Dow as their sort of sales unit or, or their their purchaser of uh, carbon. In yeah, well, one thing that I really love about the ton-year concept and just centering things around that is, you know, I don't know if you read the Oxford offsetting white paper. Mm, no. It, it's totally worth, I'll, I'll send you a, a link to it. Oh. Um, it's worth reading, but they they differentiated between three different types mm. of uh, credits. Okay. One being avoided emissions, 
The yep. second being short-term removals and the third being long-term removals. Right. And I think that this actually is much simpler to just sort of say mm-hmm. there are avoided emissions and there are removals right. and they can both be accounted for with a ton year um, mm-hmm. system, right? Um, a- and we can all understand that avoided emissions and removals are different, significantly yep. different. And that avoided emissions won't get us there, but they are also like they're like already is enough institutional adoption around avoided mm-hmm. emissions that I, I mean, a couple of years ago, I would have been pretty stridently and ardently aligned with just like throwing avoided emissions out the window entirely. Mm-hmm. At this stage, I feel a little bit more pra- pragmatic around mm-hmm. it's an asset that has adoption. And so therefore you know, a little bit of incremental improvement so that we have the right Mm -hmm. sort of like um, price discovery mechanisms Mm -hmm. around it. And then then let's just move on, like you're saying, to removals, but let's not, because I think everybody will go that direction. For instance, if you think about a a methodological approach that has carbon removals and baked into it storage because you're you have a ton year system hmm. that same forest can be earning by preserving um, right as one doing avoided emissions but like you said it just feels a lot less gross to be <laughs> quantifying the extant existent carbon cycle and the health of it mm-hmm. because you know the avoided emissions approach especially when it comes to nature based solutions always has felt to me like it's like this hostage taking scenario Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. like the accounting, the basic unit of account is how much it would cost for the worst possible thing to happen. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to cost this amount. If we, (laughs) if we bulldoze and burn this forest, Mm -hmm. this is what would happen. And so it's sort of like, there's this intrinsic threat, which is like, if you don't pay us, we're going to do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, as you said, like it just feels super like it's not the way I like to to think no. about it. It doesn't conceptually, yeah. it doesn't resonate as I think the foundation for a new regenerative eco- economic approach. It's sort of yeah. like, but at the same time, there's sort of th- this, you know, we need to, you know, um, hospice the old system and midwife the new system. So <laughs> probably keeping this sort of unit accounting around in the short term that has this sort of avoided emissions system uh, is is maybe useful. <laughs> yeah. But Eden Dow, just to clarify, Eden Dow wouldn't be buying those. Eden Dow no, no, we're, is going we're to specialize in bootstrapping the carbon removals marketplace specifically. Yeah. We're, we're, we're focused purely on removals. Um, we're starting off at the long-term storage end, and then we want to expand to cover all removals in, in totality. I think I think that would be pretty awesome. And I know that Regen Network is working on a variety of methods for removals, right? That- yeah, we, all of the method, methods that we're developing ourselves are removal methods. Our marketplace will have avoided emissions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just not funding or, you know, like we're just not putting any energy into that, but, but that sort of like ton type will be around and available for people to purchase and like Mm -hmm. utilize if that's what they want. Um, One thing before I forget, I actually just wanted to mention to listeners 
if folks are interested in hearing, uh, I did two two hour long podcasts with Delton Chen oh, nice. um, on the Planetary Regeneration podcast. So if folks want to jam on those episodes, look them up. And then there's also like a three hour long podcast with Kim Stanley Robinson, who used the global carbon reward yeah. as like the pivotal element, pivotal plot element in a hopeful sort of like future in which humans get our shit together and sort of like in solve their climate crisis. And I think it's just really awesome to have, I mean, I just so resonate Cyrus with the, um, the, this concept of what can we do? You know, probably you and I similarly, like, I don't know any central bankers, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but I can, but I did read Delton's work, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know, a couple of years ago and even before that kind of like had the intuition that there needed to be a system kind of like this and, you know, start where you, you're at. Like, let's yeah. just build. The, the other thing I think, which is really novel and awesome about doing this at a protocol level, a decentralized protocol level is it's actually, it's, it's a level up from central banks potentially. Exactly. So they can right? actually it, adopt and contribute and interact, and it could push them and enable them to yep. both see pilots and have a suite of a suite of technologies to either adopt wholesale or to just mm-hmm. sort of like push their own action copy and use their own institutional yeah. version of it. So, you know, I think that that's great. I want to I want to double tap on that because um, you, you I think you hit the nail on the head when I was uh, diving into the Dow space originally I remember reading a lot of uh, Simon de la Rouvier and uh, interpreting Dow's in, in the context of international relations um, and as as a international or supranational sort of entity I think that um, I, I I also want to introduce this uh, sort of Maxim, I think that's the word that we have at the Eden Dow. We want to we want to turn carbon uh, removal from a money sink into a money source. You see, today for a corporation who, who are the uh, and corporations are the predominant purchasers of carbon credits today. Um, Carbon credits or carbon removal specifically are a cost center for their business. It's it's a cost of compliance. It's a tax. It's a drag. And I mean, if you want something to get adopted by the world, I don't think a tax is the best format for that. I think everyone's going to dislike a tax. And so you're going to be pushing up against uh, you're going to be pushing a rock uphill. I think if if we try if we found a way to conceptualize carbon as a money source, which is what I think we're on to, um, that could really change the dynamics. And instead of feeling like pushing feeling like we're pushing a rock uphill, maybe it's it feels more like we're we're letting a snowball roll roll down the hill, you know? Totally. No, that shift is really now interesting. Now, I remember there's an argument, and this comes out in in uh, in my conversation with Delton as well as with Stan Kim Stanley mm-hmm. Robinson around in the Ministry for the Future. Mm-hmm. It is in the avoided emissions of not developing oil and gas like fossil mm-hmm. fuel reserves. Yep, is included in their system in in like so like essentially like the big corporates the big 
oil and the ga- oil and gas corporates get paid to not keep pumping fossil fuels into the atmosphere in in that in the way that it unfolds in the book. I'm just curious. Like I know Eden Dow is strictly going to focus on carbon removal, which I think puts you sort of like firmly in Delton Chin's camp. Like because Delton was like, no, we shouldn't. Like that should just be a no, and then we should be incentivizing carbon removal and other avoided emission stuff, but we should sort of like, you know, like enforce a, a hard cap on that stuff. Where would you fall in that? Like, where does that fit in the snowball analogy? Like the carrot and stick, like, should we be paying for um, coal to not leave the ground or, or not to pump petroleum, or should we just somehow force people not to do it? I see. I, w- I would say that for the Eden Dow, um, for the, about the next year or two, uh, it, we're clearly, clearly focused on removals. You know, the, the oil and gas industry gets a massive amount of subsidies from governments. I don't think they need more money. I, I wish the governments would subsidize carbon removal to the extent that they're subsidizing oil and gas. And seeing as they haven't, that's what we're building for. We're saying we're, I'm uh, one of the motivations behind the Eden Dow is that um, it, it's a reclaiming of agency in the world. You know, we're sitting here press, pressuring our governments to do something. We're pressuring corporations to do something. I'm. What if we stop? What if we, in addition to pressuring, we actually built things? You know, what if we re, uh, created new institutions that could um, fill in the gaps that our existing institutions are failing to address? It's been 26 years. Why don't we have a carbon removal subsidy from the government, right? Like get your shit together. And if you're not, then we're going to build an alternative. That's, that's I I mean, I totally resonate with that. I mean, I think all of the stuff that we're doing, Regen, Eden Dow, and, you know, the best of the refi movement, I wouldn't say that this is, you know, everything that's going on, but I think most of it is sort of just realization that we need to exercise agency instead of abdicate that agency like instead of like protesting or whatever um we just need to simply step into this vacuum Mm -hmm. and sort of like build the approach so that's that's awesome so yeah um okay let's uh, let's sort of shift gears here into we've had a couple of really fun uh at Twitter interactions around maybe yeah. the the downside. First, <laughs> let's talk about the downside of sort of like a simple ohm fork approach to creating oh, yeah. a reserve currency. Oh yeah. Um, what's t- tell me your thoughts? Yeah. Share a little bit of your thoughts. Maybe for for listeners who aren't fully. Mm-hmm you know, uh, deep, 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 deep down the crypto rabbit hole might also be useful to do a brief explanation of what Olympus is first. Yeah. Um, so, so Olympus uh, Dow was a, I, I would call it an innovative DeFi protocol that launched uh, around March of last year. And among their innovations, you had uh, some something called protocol on liquidity, which meant that the liquidity in an LP pool, such as on SushiSwap, was instead of owned by the end users uh, or the liquidity providers, was owned by the protocol itself. End users would uh, deposit 
permanently the liquidity position into the protocol and the protocol would mint them a fungible token called ohm or, or uh, yeah or ohm in exchange for that um that was that was one of its innovations another innovation it had i would say is that it would continuously dilute non-stakers uh heavily and that really incentivized people to stake it got a lot of attention because of really high APYs. And the way it would do that is it would sell ohm the token at above its backing price. You see, they would say that one ohm is backed by a dollar initially, and then it would, it would go up over time. And um, then the protocol would sell you ohm at like six dollars or a hundred dollars and if the protocol sells you ohm at a hundred dollars then it and and the backing per ohm is like two dollars then it can mint 50 ohms it could give one to you and distribute the other across the network and that's how they got a uh, really high apy um the thing the thing with ohm i find is that it, it's one of those positive reinforcing feedback loops. When it works well, it works really, really well. And when it falls apart, it falls apart really quickly. And there were a series of cascading liqu liquidations and crashes of this past year, uh, past month. Um, Ohm and the, the forks that it inspired, which it inspired quite a lot, um, really got hammered um, over, over the past month and a half or so. I, I think that people... One of the uh, things that makes an own fork attractive is seeing how successful they were and seeing how successful Clima was with it, at least initially. Um, but, oh, and, and then this this continuation of the narrative, you know, people like to say, oh, I'm going to fork this and run it somewhere else. Or I'm going to, uh, and, and we've seen a few, um, I've, I've even seen a, a few refi DAOs that have forked them. I think Gaia.money is one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a bunch. Um, and a lot of people were er, there was like a whole fad there for a little while. And I think luckily, I think that it's like, honestly, luckily, the <laughs> the cascading liquidations, <laughs> uh, you know, lead leading to Klima and and Ohm and other forks not looking as attractive, probably saved a bunch of builders a bunch of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think yeah. that like one of the things that. I think I think the own sort of mentality was best exemplified by one of its forks, <laughs> and one of its forks was Wonderland Time. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if do you know Wonderland Time? I I, I know of it. I of it. you know I I didn't buy any. <laughs> yeah, me me neither. But I, I there, there's two things I want to highlight about Wonderland Time that I think um, are so, sort of not to take away from the the amazing work that the Ohm team has done and the climate team has done uh, as two like flagship Ohm forks. But Wonderland was you could say the third flagship Ohm fork. It even surpassed the original Ohm uh, in treasury value. Um, one, it it was recently found out, you know, there was like a sort of Scooby-Doo like unmasking that one of their treasurer was um was a was an ex-felon, you know, he ran a Ponzi scheme. He was the co-founder of the Quadriga Exchange in Canada that mysteriously shut down in 2018. Um and the, that shows you, you know, the sort of angle uh, of some people that are attracted to the system. The other one was uh Wonderland Time created a page that that said when Lambo. So you got to like tell them how many time you had owned 
or or memories you owned, and it would extrapolate using the current APY and the current price to tell you that in like 42 days you could afford a Lambo. And that's the that's the thing with the Elm Forks. You see, um, I think I think it feeds on this broader social uh, situation we find ourselves in, where um, a lot of people find that there is that they have to take crazy risks to change their circumstances. Like if you're basically gambling or maybe not gambling, but, you know, buying money, uh, putting money in time, either you have a lot of money to burn or you're like really desperate. And you're really hoping that like in 60 days, the $3,000, $4,000 of savings that you have turn into like 25,000 instead of $400. You know, you know what I mean? And so I think really people are looking for growth. People are looking for stable growth. Uh, the current Ohm model doesn't really support that because of the continuous dilution that Ohm holders face. Uh, Ohm is a great, great economic value proposition if you get into it in like the first month. And then after that, it just really goes downhill for you. It, it's a it's a means of money transfer from later participants to earlier participants. And and I'll leave that as an exercise for the audience to think about other words and labels that share a similar definition. And, you know, that's not to say that, uh, uh, that that's, that's a bad thing. Um, but I, I would want to, I would want for refi DAOs to have another, uh, sort of valuing framework. You see, Ohm is a money wrapper. You know, you put money in a treasury and you get a token that represents your share of money in that treasury. And then that token can trade at a premium. And in that sense, Ohm's a money wrapper. It, the, the, the wonderful thing I think that we're doing in the refi space is we're trying to, uh, add, we're, we're trying to recognize value where the existing instruments or financializations aren't recognizing value. Do you get what I mean? And for that, it's not so much uh, it's not so much like taking an existing instrument and wrapping it with some other DeFi mechanics, which Climate did to great effect. Uh, let's take the BCT, let's wrap it, let's put it into an Ohm fork. I'm thinking, you know, if we're if we're uh, measuring carbon removal in years, then we're measuring value across a new axis that uh, new financial axis, the existing financial instruments aren't measuring value across that axis. So if we are now measuring value across this new axis, then therefore we're measuring new value in the world. Therefore, that ought to be a new money supply rather than a transfer of existing money supply. Does that does that make sense? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think so. And I think there's different ways. I mean, so there's Hmm. Sort of circling. This might be a good time to talk about the AMM stuff or the the token stuff because it could help clarify that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so, one of the uh, DeFi primitives uh, is the Uniswap pool or the Uniswap V3 or Sushi Swap pool. These AMMs um, all go back to a, one equation. It's called the constant product market maker. And what they do is they say that, you know, we have token A, we have token B, we, we multiply the amount of token A times token B, and the, the resultant is going to be constant, right? 
the resultant is going to be constant. And if you execute a trade, we're going to make sure that the amount you get preserves this constant number. Now, in effect, you now have a smart contract that encapsulates the value of a multiplication, right? Of a multiplicative product. So let's take let's take a tokenized ton of CO2. Let's let's imagine it's a let's imagine it's a removal ton. So currently, if you tokenize that, you would the unit for that would be one TCO2E. Right, it wouldn't have the number of years attached to it, but we know that there are a certain number of years that for which that carbon ton is valuable. So we can mint a new token representing those years. If this ton is val is is valued for a thousand years, then we can mint a thousand EDN tokens representing one thousand years. So now we have one thousand years in EDN tokens, and we have one ton in. Carbon dioxide removal mass token, and if we put both of these into a Uniswap pool, the constant product market maker is going to multiply them for us as as, as a primitive, right? You've got you've got one ton of CO two e times one thousand years, and that to me fully captures the value of carbon removals. It's because we're using the math of liquidity pools to de define the value of carbon removals across tonnage and time instead of just tonnage. It's kind of a nerdy, nerdy take, but that's, 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 that's how I think about it. Currently, like liquidity pools, um, you might use them to trade one asset for another. And I, I think that makes sense um, to, to, to think about this EDN Sea Dream liquidity pool for a second. You know, you could buy tons with years. If you if you buy if you put in enough years, you could buy a certain number of tons. But um, more so, I would imagine this liquidity pool as a store of value. All right, here is a liquidity pool, and it stores the value and the, the accruing value held by the Eden DAO. And by nature of it being an AMM, it's multiplying both tokens in the liquidity pool. And if one of your tokens, its unit is tons of CO2, and then the other token, its unit is years, then when you multiply the tokens, the resultant unit is TCO2 years or ton years. And that's how we can encode our whole ton year accounting model into a standard Uniswap pool. Right. So the, the LP token is TCO2 year. The LP token is a TCO2 year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. I, um, it's a little nerdy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so is there any other like fancy work happening? Like, how do you then, th that all makes sense and is sort of like a public utility, right? And so there's like a solid <laughs> foundation of like, okay, you know, a bunch of institutions or or whales or other people could sort of like put liquidity in and mm -hmm. generate sort of like a, a decentral bank, mm -hmm. you know, um, price mechanism. Yep. M maybe even you could see an ecosystem of um, bots or or funds that are opinionated about what the prices are going to be and are sort of like engaging in the market to to generate that mm -hmm. through their interactions. What's the incentive for people to put their 
assets into the pool. Yeah. Uh, how does it how does it grow in value? Is there like a second? It's like a, there's a secondary token, right? That's a, that's a really good question. I think I'll have to I'll start from the beginning uh, of the Eden Dow, and I want to preface this with um, saying that this these tokenomics are still being shaped. So when you're hearing this, if you're hearing this on the on the show, it's the latest version of them, but they are continuing to evolve as we learn more. Um, the Eden Dow has the Eden Dow's protocol would broadly speaking have three components. Um, the first component is a EDN and stablecoin pool. So this is a pool where I could go and buy years of carbon removal. I could buy EDN token with a stablecoin. Let's call it uh, Frax, for example. That's one pool, and this pool sets up an exchange rate between a stable asset and the EDN token. Well, we're going to launch something we're calling the uh, Eden Dow, sorry, the Eden Frax bond, if, if we continue, if we use Frax. Um, and what that would do is it would say, hey, anybody can come and deposit one Frax into this bond. This bond is then going to mint one EDN to act as the uh, other to balance that frax and then deposit both into the liquidity pool. Now we have $2 of value in the liquidity pool, right? If there's a one-to-one exchange rate and we put both of them into the liquidity pool, we accepted $1, but now our liquidity pool got $2 of value added to it in the form of LP. That LP is protocol owned liquidity. And then we'll compensate the depositor with uh, with what we're calling G-Eden, which is the governance token, which is a representative of that LP position. Now, this, uh, this LP pool is for maintaining the exchange rate of one US dollar equals one EDN. If we go back to the beginning of the conversation, I said one US dollar is one ton of CO2 stored for one year. And to accomplish this, we have an intermediary currency called EDN, Eden. Um, if the, this intermediary currency exchanges between a US dollar and a ton of uh, CO2, that's the second liquidity pool. The second liquidity pool is EDN and C-Dream. C-Dream is carbon dioxide removal mass. We have two liquid, and it follows a very similar pattern. We have two liquidity pools: one for exchanging stable coins for this EDN token, and then one for exchanging EDN into a, a C Dream. Should you want it, probably don't need it. To be honest with you, um, probably don't need to do that. And we have this DAO entity, effectively, with this protocol, uh, creating the reward, minting the EDN token to reflect the value that is deposited. If you were to deposit one US dollar equivalent, then the protocol will mint another, mint an EDN token to uh, mirror that value and store it and create new money supply, essentially, um, and, and lock it in. If you were to deposit carbon dioxide removal mass, then based on the amount of ton years of your deposit, the, carb, the protocol will mint a proportionate amount of EDN token. So the pr- protocol mints new EDN token to reflect the value of 
what is being bonded to it. This is very similar to what Bancor 2.1 does with their BNT token. Bancor is a, uh, it's an AMM, it's a platform, it's kind of like Uniswap, uh, but instead of um, having a pair between two arbitrary asset, any asset is paired with their own BNT token. And that and this BNT token acts as the co common conduit across the different asset pairs. That's similar to what we're doing. We have this EDN token that is the conversion between US dollars and uh, carbon dioxide removal mass, the tons. Because the protocol is minting new tokens, and, it, and those tokens are locked in the liquidity pools, that is uh, new value. A, a, a way to think about that is like, if you have a liquidity pool with uh, a thousand USDC and a thousand DAI in it, then you have $2,000 worth of liquidity. If you have now a liquidity pool with a thousand USDC and then a thousand EDN token, and all that liquidity is locked, you also have $2,000 of protocol-owned liquidity. doesn't really matter where the EDN came from as long as that is locked and there is a purpose to that EDN. That EDN can be used for something. So, or, or there, there is demand or somebody else has EDN that they would want to sell into the pool because then there, there is value there, right? So we have these two pieces and I want to talk about them separately. The first, this is this is a heavy one, I know. <laughs> um, the EDN Sea Dream Pool is a it, it's a it's a store of value for ton years. You know, you take your we we will onboard uh, carbon removal mass from the from off chain on chain, and then have the protocol mint EDN tokens proportional to its perceived value of those tons. So if you were to mint, if you were to deposit a, uh, a carbon ton with 1000 years of permanence, you know, you, you might've paid $200 for it or $400 for it, but the protocol recognizes 1000 EDN worth of value. It will mint 1000 EDN because it's 1000 years and it'll deposit the 1000 EDN alongside your sea dream into that pool. And now you have a pool with one ton stored for 1,000 years, and that pool stores that, that sort of value there. The depositor gets the governance token that's backed by the protocol-owned liquidity. That governance token feeds into the third piece of the Eden protocol. So there's, there's three pillars. The first one is uh, Eden USD. The second one is Eden Sea Dream, carbon dioxide removal mass. And then the third piece, we need a way for anybody who deposits assets into the protocol to get liquidity out. And currently our best solution for that third piece is a debt market. We're talking with Rari to figure out how we could use a fuse pool to collateralize loans. If you were to take your, your governance Eden token, could you use that to collateralize loans for yourself? And because of the way our, our protocol is set up, we're, we're thinking that the only time the USD value of a G-Eden or Eden token goes down is in the event of a liquidation in the debt market. 
because then in the debt market, they would want to sell the asset for some USD value. But you know, when do you get liquidated? You get liquidated when your loan to value ratio um, is too high. And your loan to value ratio is too high when the price of your collateral is going down, right? You, you stake your ETH, you take a loan out against your ETH or your Atom or your Cosmos. And if the price of your ETH goes down, you had a loan against it, you could get liquidated, right? With our, with our GEDEN token and our, our, ETH, or our liquidity pools, um, we're pretty sure we have a non-decreasing uh, value per coin. And so I'm not so far, I, like, we're, we're still trying to get this uh, verified by the fine folks over at Curve Labs, but from at least from a mathematical, like first principles lens, um, we'd have a governance token with a guaranteed floor price and uh, against which you can take out a loan. So that would make it so that your loan is very unlikely, if not impossible, to get liquidated. And if your governance token earns a yield, then there's a good chance that it could help pay off your loan. And that's what the governance token does in our platform. Our governance token will earn a yield. Um, and the yield it earns is backed by the new Eden that is minted by the protocol. So going back, when there's new assets deposited into the protocol, new Eden is minted to reflect that value. And that new Eden that is minted, that value is distributed across the network participants. So you and me, concretely, if we were to hold GEDN token, as more uh, DeFi regens bond more stable assets, and as more carbon projects bond more carbon dioxide removal mass, that creates new tokens, and th those new tokens get distributed to us because we support the network. And in that sense, we're also, the more usage the network gets, the more the engine runs, the higher the APY. Yeah, a fraction of new tokens are minted to financial participants anytime yes. there's new money coming in. Exactly. And the equation for that, so, so like circling back to the mm -hmm. Olympus example, What's the equation for that that right. dictates the relationship between new tokens that represent real, real value in, whether it's a stable coin or a unit of carbon, um, versus the fraction that is minted that represents earlier contributions? Hmm. Um, so yeah. Uh, if you let, let's take the example of uh, the the bonding of carbon or the depositing of carbon. Um, imagine you or Region Network is coming in to bond some carbon to our, our protocol. You are you deposit let's say one thousand ton years worth of uh, carbon into the protocol, and what that would do is it would mint one thousand Eden tokens to reflect that value. And both of those would get deposited into the protocol's liquidity pool. Um, and mind you, you put in 1,000 ton years, but it was just tons. And we put in 1,000 years, which is the years. So now you have 1,000 ton years um, into this pool. So you have 2,000 
EDN worth of value. That might be confusing. Let me just re-go re go over that again. You put in 1,000 ton years worth of carbon. We mint 1,000 EDN tokens as equal value to that. And so now we have effectively 2,000 EDN tokens of new value, right? Because yeah. it's reflecting the value. And you put in 1,000 tokens worth of EDN. So you're going to receive 1,000 tokens worth of our governance token. Mm -hmm. There's another 1,000 uh, EDN worth of governance token too. And this was the 1,000 worth of governance token that the protocol effectively minted to reflect that value. The, it's a portion of that that gets distributed across financial participants. Yes, specifically, what's the portion and how is oh, that? Um, the, the rough draft for was just all of it, but I think it, it might be important to put up like somewhere between 30, 40%. I know that that's what, uh, that's what Temple Dow, give or take, was using. I'm not saying Temple Dow is the best uh, sort of reference point for something like this, but I think and then 30, the rest 40, would be put in some sort of like insurance pool or something. Yeah, to, yeah, we, to, we could have some to avoid to try to as a sort of like to bolster if there is some sort of um, cascading liquidation, perhaps that there's right. like an insurance pool that is it, active in some way. Exactly. It could go to the Dow and the Dow could decide how to use it. We could have like 1% for you know, some charitable causes if we wanted. We could have like 9% go to the operating team or operating Dow. There's a, there's a lot we could do with that. And um, I, I want to I want to verify that our, our assumptions about the behavior of the system, maybe not assumptions, but more like deductions, our deductions about the speed, about the behavior of the system are valid from people with a lot more tokenomics wisdom uh, than I. And with that, then we can sort of drill down and be like, OK, we're confident in the shape of what we've got or the structure of what we got. Let's fill in the details. Let's color in, you know, the, those areas. Yeah. Fascinating. Cool. Super, super Ooh. exciting. Thanks for the um, deep dive on the, yeah. on the token economics uh, on the token economics side. It's yeah, really uh, uh, wish I had a whiteboard. I think that could that could have helped my explanation a lot more because um, there's there's a lot of concepts you know to float around in your head, and most humans only have like four to eight slots of RAM, and that's you know unless you encode something visually or off the brain. Uh, it's it's easy to saturate people's um, RAM when trying to explain to them something totally new. Well, totally. And there's a whole, like the DeFi space has evolved very quickly. Mostly, I would argue, mostly simply copying exi existing financial sort of um, mechanisms and occasionally inventing new ones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sort of like mostly it's encoding financial mechanisms into a state machine that can execute, mm -hmm. you know, that can execute the code. Um, and, and every once in a while, I actually think there are sort of like innovations in which the code that's being executed is unlike existing financial yeah. systems. And that that extra little percent of like innovation makes it extra hard to to conceptualize. I mean, first the leap to what we're doing is we're sort of like, you know, automating and making executable code a, a core part of this sort of like financial infrastructure. And then again, there's sort of, and we're doing jazz with it while we're at yeah. it. Um, <laughs> yeah. That makes that makes it 
you know, I think anybody who isn't really, really deeply involved in thinking about it pretty much full time, it's quite hard to really dig in and understand all of the different elements. And then you have different schools of sort of like thought and engagement assumptions that arise when you're using different um, state machines or different yeah. sort of like foundational approaches. Uh, how abstracted are you from the security layer, for instance, of of what's securing the ability to execute the code versus how close are you to that? You, you know, so anyway, it's it's really interesting. It's it's fascinating. I definitely have been thinking a, a fair amount as well around, you know, some sort of stable swap utility as the foundation. Like, what are the utilities, the, the financial utilities, and how do you refi them? Like, like instead of thinking, this is just something I've been thinking about a lot recently, instead mm -hmm. of thinking about sort of like entirely new sort of like financial apparatus, which I think is also important, like you're talking about with Edendow, in which there's a value reflection mechanism specifically mm -hmm. built to, to incentivize production of a specific asset class, like a carbon reward. Um, while also creating the conditions for price discovery around that asset class. How is that linked or coupled? Or as an alternative or complement to that, how do we just bake into existing sort of like financial infrastructure that is required? And I think maybe this is sort of like where Rune and MakerDAO is maybe yeah. kind of going in terms of like the clean money concept. Mm -hmm. Like you taking existing financial infrastructure and what hardwiring in a sort of specific, you know, buyer of, of last resort price discovery dynamics around assets that are deemed essential for, for the whole system to actually operate well. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, th I think the, 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 the key to unlock this all, uh, at least for the, for the, I guess more for the Eden now applied to the Eden now, but food for thought for others is that, could we collateralize stable assets with carbon tonnures? And I mean, I think that's the goal, right? I mean, I, yeah. I think that's essential, although carbon tonnures, and it's interesting, I have to wrap my head around how the carbon tonnure system will change things. But the, the interesting thing about carbon, and maybe this is solved with the carbon tonnure approach, I don't think so. Mm. Because I, I, I think, well, Meaning not intrinsically. I think there's some some other, like the problem with BCT. One of the problems with BCT, mm -hmm. amongst others, is that it it is pr pretending to create a, or attempting to create something that is used as a collateral in a reserve currency system, but re using it as if it's a fully fungible um, currency yep. instead of instead of accepting that it's actually a commodity and that that commodity has a shelf life. Yep. It does. Um, too. That's, that's where I'm, where people being like, yeah, the price of BCT is going to go up over the coming years because like people are going to want to buy it. I'm like, I don't know what they want to buy from the BCT pool. Like if you're a corporate, you don't, you probably, I don't know what you're going to buy from the, I honestly don't. Well, I think that maybe the, the Klima community can address this, and I know they've been. Mm -hmm. I've brought this up a couple times. I mean, I've been bringing this up for like since before Klima launched yeah. in different circumstances, and I think that it's starting to get addressed. Where 
by there's some element to like refresh the BCT pool and mm-hmm. sort of guarantee that it is that they're like fresh carbon tons mm-hmm. that are are therefore attractive for a company to buy and retire, mm-hmm. you know, like arguably. So I think they may address that. But as it is right now, it's not it doesn't address that. And so yeah. it's it just like backing a, a, a stable coin with like rot, rotting bananas. Sort of. Yeah. Like yeah. the value disappears over time because, yeah. you know, and and I think the same is true with a carbon ton year because carbon ton years also need an expiration date because they mm-hmm. also, if you mint a carbon ton year, yep. it's like one, you know, yeah, I mean, it's going to go, it, it's going to, it has to expire, right? It's a commodity. It can't, yeah. it can't live forever. What what part of it? I, I think I think if you're only looking at the, I, I think it can't live forever because when when you think that it's going to you know unbond or it's going to go re-enter the atmosphere, I think those are those are valid. Um, do you think that its value can persist over time? Like you know the the price we pay today for that ton year that price ought to persist over time because that um, or, or that value ought to persist over time because there is value in financializing the projects doing this right now, or again, con- and continuing to financialize them. Do you get what uh, I mean? I mean, boy, I don't know. I guess I think of it like, was it valuable that I ate that banana? Like, yeah, yeah yes, it was. But that value was put into my body and and in mm-hmm. exchange, I paid people for something, but it had a limited shelf life. So I think there's like a an element of an extra element of complexity. I right. guess I could be talked out of this, but my assumption is you have to design in shelf life for mm. carbon because it is essentially we're we're measuring the flow of carbon through living systems ultimately right 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 um or the the capture and injection of carbon outside of living systems which i would just highly encourage people i don't actually think that's that should be sold at a deep discount to to, mm. to <laughs> i i tend to be biased towards a more complex algebra for pricing carbon right right that includes um, and it may make it out of reach. It's like it may, this extra complexity may may sort of like make the right. entire endeavor impossible. <laughs> but well, okay, so it, let, let's let's take like a consumer hardware manufacturer like Apple, and they build an iPhone and they built it like three years ago and they sold that. And that was value that they accrued, right? And although the iPhone has a shelf life, that value that they accrue continues to stay with them, right? Well, but you're talking about the difference between Eden as a token and the carbon ton. Because they uh, don't have, like, because, like, look, they mined out the rare earth minerals. Those rare earth minerals aren't still still there. Right. So, yeah, they still have units of account. Right. Which is a dollar. And they earned that and maybe they reinvested it, et cetera. Hmm. But... Hmm but they don't still have the commodities that they put together to assemble the phone. Right. No, I think, I think that makes sense. And if you're, if you're thinking of, if we're thinking of like 
the the Eden Sea Dream pool as as a sort of reflection of the present value of of the carbon as it's flowing through the cycle. And I I think your point applies. Like logically thinking it through, it ought to change. I think one way to one one, I, one way I've been thinking about it has been that that is part of a treasury of of a greater entity, which is more of an economy that um, produces carbon removal as an outcome. As well, a this is, and this is where some sort of offset, like, like who's consuming the carbon, like who's mm-hmm. consuming the carbon unit is, this is how you answer that. Like, is the, and, and is there a sunset clause or is it just fully fun? You know, it's like, maybe it's fully fungible. I don't know. Or maybe it's not, but right. who's consuming the carbon and retiring it and taking out of circulation and mm. on, on what are the conditions that they need? Right. And so right. that's, to me, that's the primary. It's just like who's eating the bananas, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who's, where are they going in order to generate the sort of like th- this like level of of abstraction that can represent the complex set of relationships mm-hmm. appropriately, so as to generate mm-hmm. sort of this like directional value generation mechanism. Yeah. Something like a global carbon reward. And in Delton's work, mm-hmm. it's sort of like the technocrats, it's sort of like it's very clear. It's like we can convince the technocrats that this is a foundation of the global economy and therefore yeah. they buy it and and retire it at like a you know nested jurisdictional sort of level of, of the international. We're just we have an international goal and it's yes. set forth in Paris, and we're just going to like we're going to like mint and purchase carbon and retire it and like keep track of the goal in that way. So that's the big piece, which I think is the, the challenge to standing up these systems, which is how do we like, like that's where the value value gradient is adoption of a it's adoption and consumption of the carbon unit that is needed. Uh, the reti- the retirement of a carbon unit i think is if we capture the carbon unit and it's it's captured like it's removed from the atmosphere and it's been compensated for do we need necessarily a retirer if if the protocol finances the removal of the carbon and then in exchange the carbon unretired is owned by the protocol and then if Somebody wants, you know. Well, how else do you have demand for the carbon unit? You, you, you can. Uh, so, Eden, so, well, in your in your mechanism, there's a single in your mechanism. There's a single sort of sort of like Klima. There's a single source of. There's a buyer of last resort or first resort, which is Eden, and it yes. just like takes in all of the carbon. It takes and it in just and, and it, it provides you instead, instead of buying it from you per se, it gives you collateral. It gives you a credit. and nobody and and nobody else needs to come to Eden and knock on the no. door and say, "I want some of this carbon, please." No, they they wouldn't need to for the system to work, but they could, and if they did, it would increase the treasury value. If a offsetter came and said, "Hey, I want to buy your offsets." They could first buy some Eden tokens with U.S. dollars. Now they have a certain number of years. Then they can use some of those Eden tokens to buy some seed dreams so that now they have a certain number of tons. And let's and then they might hold like 1,000 uh, Eden token and then like 100 uh, seed dream tokens by this point. I'm just making these numbers up, which they could redeem 
for 100 tons at 10 years of permanence. And if, if they do this, this creates buy pressure on the Eden stablecoin pool, which would increase the price of Eden, which would increase the valuation of the um, Eden Seedream pool, because that's priced in Eden as well. So our system does not require a carbon offset, uh, somebody to come and purchase the offset and retire it. Rather, the protocol is intended to uh, collateralize the uh, offer collateral in exchange for the carbon um, without the need for somebody to come and buy the offset. But it also supports the ability for somebody to come and buy that offset and retire it should they want to. Um, it's not economically advantageous for them because they're going to you know, start paying like over like $1,000 per ton of permanent offsets. Um, but that's where I think we can have a, that's where the Eden DAO can become competitive in, in claiming offsets compared to, or in, in terms of vacuuming offsets, not offsets, but removals compared to traditional uh, corporations. You know, if, if you're a carbon remover and you're currently selling to corporations at $125 a ton, whereas the Eden DAO will give you $1,000 worth of credit or like $800 worth of credit for that, why it's it's it like boils it it's pretty it's a pretty simple decision at that point i i think yeah i mean i think the so this framework relies i, I guess there's sort of like two assumptions which in order to generate buy in on it people will need to say yes to and mm -hmm. one is a theory of sort of like in the social construction of value, it's a theory of reflected value in which we're saying that it's okay to generate new value based on this, this action that's been taken. And so like, that's the origination point of, in the system of the new value. Yes. So it's number one. <laughs> number two is that there, you know, and this is where, this is where I'm not so sure. It's like in Eden Dow, mm without engaging i'm just curious about does this not need this needs like zero corporate buy-in essentially and um, as designed yeah as designed doesn't it would need it would need a defi buy-in to it needs defi buy-in yeah it, it, it needs, needs defi buy-in defi buy-in buy yeah. uh, buy is the bu is the buffer for the debt market it's the it's the thing that they're the defense. Do you know how much it needs? Like, what's the escape velocity? Like, how much buy-in is is required for the system to work and not fail? TBD. Um, that's TBD. what curve. That's what curve is. That's, that's what we're hoping to figure out with curve. Yeah, get some get some equations uh, out onto this and and re realize that oh, like for every dollar worth of uh, liquidity in the Eden stablecoin pool, then that gives us like ten dollars worth of uh, effective leverage or, or uh, liquidity in the debt market or something. Uh -huh. um, maybe maybe that's maybe that's the answer. Maybe those numbers are different, um, but that needs to be figured out. Cool. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's it. You know, uh, we, we got to figure that part out. But these DeFi protocols are autonomous, right? They're uh, permissionless in a sense. Um, you could call them anytime. And if we can get some of the, get the rules right, then, um, you know, you know we won't need 
a a corporate buyer. I think that that's what what I'm looking forward to. And because because ideally, the, you know, the loans would pay themselves off, and to, and that would depend on network usage. So I'm thinking like you know everybody's trying to um, everybody's trying to bring credits on chain. And then some people are like, okay, let's bring like the whole ESG framework on chain so that corporate buyers can purchase their credits on chain. I'm like, great, that makes sense. But corporate buyers are like one fifth of the demand we need to hit 1.5 degrees or like a, a sixth or something like that. There's a chart I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where do we get the rest of that demand? Mm-hmm. You know, and and if, we're, if we're still like trying to sell to corporate buyers, that's a, that's again a little bit of a abdicating of agency there. We're still ex- expecting them to come and and solve it. Um, obviously, they have a lot of money. They could play a part in our system. There's nothing stopping them from either buying. Uh, there wouldn't be anything stopping them from either like buying and retiring uh, credits through us, or or even bonding to the network and supporting it uh, instead of like retiring credits per se. But one of one of the other design questions does you see the Eden Dow came, it evolves through a series of design questions uh, which I've shared with you with a few with you and one of them was like how can we how can we fill in the demand gap that corporations are not fulfilling and that's not like a, a sleight of hand against corporations it's not a bad eye towards them they're the predominant demand for the carbon market. They are what's getting us, what's gotten us here, and they're going to be a, a major force uh, going forward. But you know, I, ideally, we can sort of disrupt and deprecate the need for them to to participate in something like this with with a protocol that would always buy um, or always give credit for carbon rather than buy. Right. Well, and then they have the incentive actually to be net creators of carbon removals instead of being instead of being like we're going to offset the fact that we're not. They have economic incentive to be. It's a money source. Their whole operation so that they can actually be earning their exactly. own carbon and, removals. Yeah. And, and, and going back to something you said earlier about like a global, uh, about countries, you know, I, I'm just thinking if a country comes and says, okay, I want to subsidize um, carbon removal. Now they have to take on more debt on their balance sheet, right? Any country that wants to do it has to print more currency and take on more, more debt on their nation, uh, on their country's balance sheet. Um, the Eden Dow in a sense, whoever does produce carbon removals gets credit from it without having to take out, take on more debt as an entity, which is interesting to think about. You know, you no no longer would the U.S. or China or uh, Brazil or England or Norway like they they wouldn't have to print more money to subsidize carbon removal if they were to nationalize their carbon removal, then they could bond their carbon to the protocol to earn more tokens, more credit for themselves. And the credit they earn, it, admittedly, it's like pegged to the US dollar, but it's not like that. And it, it's not like another international entity is taking on that debt to print the money for them. It's it's a supranational entity. It's the Eden Dow. So that's, uh, that's a, little, a little ambitious, but um, that's what's on my mind. Yeah, cool. Um, super fun to get a sense of what's on your mind. So just, you know, before we, we conclude, I want to sort of circle back mm. for listeners and just like talk through 
you know, p- potential relationship between Regen Network and EdenDAO. So, mm-hmm. you know, so Regen Network is a- an origination system for ecological assets, which can include frameworks, existing frameworks or new frameworks. So it, it's sort of trivial to adapt a one ton a one ton year framework for carbon accounting into the orig- asset origination system you know what we're building out is yeah again sort of the system for uh, um, originating digital monitor monitoring reporting and verification curation and governance so that there's a there's a natively web3 origination place for for these mm-hmm. sort of units to be born. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we relate to Toucan or others like they're bridging old assets on chain. Great. You can just bridge that up onto region. That's awesome. And then Eden sort of sits in a different place, which is a market for those assets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like so, you at Regen, you're, you're originating assets and then you're going to, for example, go sell them to Microsoft, right? Sell them to Microsoft, sell them to Eden, sell them to, there you Eden, go. sell them to, you know, sell them to Maker, sell them to Cello, sell them to wherever there's a demand for those ecological assets and build yes. and have the tools so that people, the land stewards and scientists who are working together to to sort of like to generate those assets, which are representation of real work that's taking place somewhere in the world, mm-hmm. right, can appropriately monitor, report, verify, and issue that asset according to the standard that's needed by the marketplace that exists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're we're like, a, you know, Regen originates the assets, and then they're like, okay, who, who, what is the best uh, given our position? Um, who should we sell this to, or who should who? Where should we deposit this asset? And right. either you like deposit it and retire it to Microsoft, and then they pay you a price for it, or you can deposit it into the the Eden DAO, and you would get collateral which you can use to, to take out credit to to build faster um what you're what you're working on and um and so the, I, I, piece, I think that's how they fit into each other that's right so the interesting piece region ledger 3.0 which is you know going to be coming out you know maybe like late march or mm-hmm. so we'll have an order book dex which okay. is something that you can't do in a, the Ethereum world. It's sort right. of like impossible. Yep. But in Cosmos, we can do order book where you can have mm-hmm. limit, um, market, you know, actually we'll probably launch without market orders, but you you have limit orders. So so essentially what can happen is potentially Eden DAO could have a set of limit orders that the DAO is setting for specific asset types that are published mm-hmm. right on the DEX, yeah. which enables which enables a land steward without having to match, you know, to put into a, a pool or to market mm-hmm. sell and bring the, the price down or something like that. It actually allows for Eden DAO to be, or vice versa, for them to just say, no, we want this much because of our cost. Our cost is X. We sort of like set our price. There's sort of a set of mm-hmm. orders hanging out there. You know, you can sort of envision a system in which there's just like standing orders for right. specific asset types that people can fill. They receive, you know, a currency in exchange, whether that's, you know, sort of a swap system. Yeah. This order book, could we, is it in USD or like, because the uh, Eden we're gonna could... have a, We have a governance allow list uh, for stable coins. So it'll be, right. so it, um, it, 
you know, region governance could allow list Eden or could allow list. I mean, you know, it's yeah. like it's up to the community to determine what currencies are going to be allowed for swapping. But right. there's also sort of like the need to have there's like efficiencies. You don't necessarily want a million different types of. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of a little bit TD, TBD. Um, and, and, you know, the, the dynamics of that, like they need to be safe and stable and sort mm-hmm. of like trusted the community. And they, again, ultimately, the community is going to make that decision about what the currency type is that they'd like to use to trade for these ecological assets that are being minted. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, the Eden DAO, the Eden DAO in that scenario, I could imagine like packaging up our so so in the in the current model, um, the end user deposits uh, carbon dioxide, receives collateral token, uses that collateral to take out a loan uh, in a USD stablecoin. What we could do is uh, if we were trying to if the DAO wanted to emulate buying tokens. Uh, buying carbon, then instead of the end user taking the loan on their balance sheet, the DAO could take the loan on its own balance sheet and pay out the the stable coin or and put in a limit order with that stable coin. Because otherwise it, you know, our governance Eden token is the um would be the reward for depositing carbon. And that's not necessarily a stable coin. Um, Probably is, but not necessarily. I think I think that could simplify things for somebody on the region ledger being like, oh, you know, all of the limit orders here are all all, all stable coins. It's not like one of them is dead, right? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that that could make sense there. But yeah, I I, I think like uh, I I would love for the Eden DAO to uh, become that demand source for qualified carbon removal projects from the plethora of different refi DAOs working hard to uh, standardize and uh, bring credits on chain. I know that, you know, Regen has a bunch of nature-based solutions. I know that uh, New Atlantis DAO wants to, um, wants to pioneer a blue carbon standard uh, for, for ocean CDR. And uh, I mean, the Dream Syndicate, we're running a Dream Syndicate ourselves. Um, the Dream Syndicate is an opportunity for anybody in the community to uh, bootstrap our reserve of carbon removals, and that's where uh, the, that that's where you could essentially arb the the market price for carbon against the the Eden DAO protocol's uh, ton year price for that carbon. Um, but the the Eden DAO protocol would be like the the demand layer, ideally, for on chain carbon and even off chain carbon. That's that's what we're and that's what we're aiming for. Yeah. Now it's time to build it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, so region will have a plethora of different, we're sort of agnostic to standards types, but we have tools for people to to publish and adhere to standards. So there's several people doing blue carbon already, and there'll be ecological assets going. I think it's going to be interesting to see how, like what the different standard shelling points are, like what do people actually entrain on as a specific standard mm. type and mm-hmm. why. Um, and that's, I mean, maybe a conversation for a different day is how is, 
you know, like what standards bodies or standards governance is Eden mm-hmm. Dow going to either participate oh, in or sort of like relate to? Because if you're the largest demand center, either you need to yourself generate the standards whereby you're defining with a great deal of specificity what one ton year is mm. exactly and who qualifies for it and why or or you need to like lean on you know other bodies right. to determine that and update that and have governance around that yeah to- totally there's there's a lot of decentralized decision making to 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 do there and i'm actually particularly inspired by um your uh, regen networks approach to i think it was measurement reporting and verification with with the different batches of, of different methodologies with squads you know verifying them um i thought that was pretty nifty uh but uh listen greg i got a how this has been an amazing amazing conversation you know we, we booked it for about an hour and now we're going to an hour and a half it's it's always a pleasure uh chatting with you but i've got to uh, hop on off to another call um, yeah awesome thanks for taking the extra time and uh enjoy denver maybe i'll see you there in a, in a few days i'll be i'll be around so um would look forward to it man rock hey, on. Uh, keep on rocking the free world and i'll, I'll talk to you later <laughs> you well <laughs>